It's time for Chasing the Word on Compassion Radio. Well, hey, it's time for Chasing the Word here on Compassion Radio. Welcome to the program. Well, I accept your thanks, and I'm glad to be here with you. I'd offer the same thing to our listeners. Thanks so much for joining us today. We have made it halfway through John 15. The big sermon, the last big message is what we're in right now. The one he spends the most time, it seems, in the book of John with his disciples on very focused teaching about what love is. Chapter 14, all the way through 16, really, we see later in John 17, where he will pray for his disciples and his followers. So this is a big chunk of the ministry of Jesus. And I think he is really trying to get through to them the importance of what is about to happen. And perhaps he's also doing it in an order that is significant. Mm. He serves them and leads them. Last Supper, washing the feet, all those things happen in the first act of this play. Mm -hmm. The second act, of course, is teaching, getting to the, quote, sermon. And then we're going to see his prayer. It moves from one to the other. And I think there might be something about that progression that is important. Like it it got to their heart and stirred in them something. Mm -hmm. He had to help them get into his perspective, his frame of reference. Washing their feet really caught them off guard. You know, it just kind of threw them for a spin. And then this whole thing about someone will betray me and... He's got their attention. What is he going to say next? Because he's already washed our feet. He served us this meal. We had this communion service, Mm -hmm. talked about his flesh and his blood. So they're probably a little disoriented. Early on in the book, of course, he preaches a sermon in Galilee about his blood and body and ends up describing it in a way that almost sounds cannibalistic. And people are like, this is disgusting. I'm not sure what he's talking about, but I don't want to hear any more of this. And then, of course, Peter at that time says... Lord, where else are we going to go? We can't leave you. Yeah, yeah. And right now, they're probably feeling the same kind of things that Peter's feeling when Peter pipes up and says, no, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus has to dress him down. Bam, the slam comes. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the other guys are probably feeling similar things. When he addresses Peter, it's like, oh, I just better be quiet right now. Yeah. Something's going on here I really don't get yet. Peter was brave enough to speak up. He was, and he takes the heat for it. I know we've talked about love and service is being almost synonymous. Mm-hmm. He's saying, this is the rule to live by. Yeah. He got through with that in verse 14. Verse 15 begins with what? I do not call you slaves anymore, because a slave doesn't know what his master is doing. I've called you friends, because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you that you should go out and produce fruit that your fruit should remain, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. This is what I command you. Love one another. If the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But they will do all these things to you on account of my name, because they don't know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sin. Now they have no excuse for their sin. The one who hates me also hates my father. If I had not done the works among them that no one else has done, they would not have sinned. Now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But this happened so that the statement written in their scripture might be fulfilled. They hated me for no reason. When the counselor comes, the one I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, 
he will testify about me. You also will testify because you have been with me from the beginning. It's a good translation, but that first verse to me is something that's always kind of rankled me. And I might take a little bit of exception to the choice of translation there because he says, I no longer call you slaves. In English, that has the implication of, I once called you slaves. Mm. And I'm not sure that Jesus ever did that. The word that he's using there is, I do not now call you slaves. That's what the phrase really literally means there. Mm -hmm. And that would indicate to me that this is the kind of relationship I've always wanted with you. Like the now we're living in, the experience you've had with me. Have I ever poured heavy burdens on your backs? Have I not preached sermons about lifting your burdens? Have I not been identified as the liberator? Mm. All of that going before to this point seems to me to not really line up as well with that particular English translation of that one phrase. Yeah, there's another translation that I read that says, I don't call you servants any longer. Servants don't know what the master is doing. I'm thinking about how they are following this master, this teacher, and they serve him. They do his bidding, basically. They've followed him around for the last three years, doing the things that he's asked them to do, serving him and serving others around him. When he gave instructions, when he gave they instructions. Yeah. yeah. So I don't see it in the way that you're talking about. Yes, the translation, the Holman Christian says slaves. Right. Other translations use the word servant, and I do see that a bit differently. In my opinion, I guess, a servant kind of has a choice. This person is choosing to serve this master, this other person. They still had choice. They had agency all along. In fact, Judas Iscariot is right now exercising his agency to choose whatever he wants. He's running off to betray Jesus at mm -hmm. this very moment. So it's not like he ever expected, I think, that every single person in his discipleship group would lose their will. Right. It would be transformed. Or it would reject one of the two. But there's not the sense, I think, of Jesus expecting them to cater to him. So I guess at least in the sense you're talking about the servanthood, maybe it's more about the words we use, even our own Aramaic, is like, I'm the master, you're the servant. Mm -hmm. Those are things that are part of their language. We're not reading it in Aramaic. We're reading it in English from a Greek translation of those Aramaic phrases. So perhaps what he's saying is, you get it. You've been identified as, I've been identified as, I know that I'm going away now. So I'm literally, in some ways, promoting you. You okay. are now the ones to be the masters, to teach, to lead, and to guide, to be respected, and to be respectable to those who need leadership, to mm -hmm. become the pastor, not yeah. just the sheep. I think there's a heart of that in there, but I really don't buy into this ultimate idea of mastery and slaveship that we know has been woefully warped over centuries Absolutely. to justify yeah. the imprisonment and enslavement of whole human populations. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And that's still being taught in some corners of Christianity. I would call it very much an extremist Christianity. People that I know in America wouldn't look at this scripture and say, oh, well, he's talking about slavery. Slavery's good. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying it's no longer needed for me. But that's what preachers across centuries have taught. Well, in our own history, in America, this scripture has been used to justify slavery. So I would really encourage the listeners not to let that particular phrase abuse your sense of what Jesus intended or who he was in relationship to his disciples. Because, you know, the rest of their lives, these disciples becoming apostles now, are going to keep serving him. They're not going to suddenly veto God or Jesus in his leadership. He's still a king of this entire kingdom. And they are servants within that kingdom, like Joseph was a servant under the Pharaoh. But he commanded a kind of gravitas and power and insight and vision that even the king didn't have in that kingdom mm -hmm. because God gave it to him directly. Yeah. So Joseph was highly regarded as a great seer, someone that could look behind the veil and be mm -hmm. part of the heavenlies and get inspiration directly from the God source. 
these apostles are stepping into that too. And the priesthood of believers then comes into play now too. Yeah. You and I have been told by the apostles, we are the priesthood of believers. Yeah. Yeah. If we're really in him and he is in us, how can we say no to God's presence among us? He's going to say what he wants to say through us, but also with us. The priest has a role to do that God himself delegates to his son, who delegates it to the priesthood of believers, mm. who will then live it out the rest of the church age. We have a mandate, and that mandate is to take on the mantle and not to enslave others, but to liberate them. Not to get stuck on verse 15, because that's the first verse we've been talking about. I've also looked at this verse in such a way that before I knew Christ, before Christ chose me, mm -hmm. as verse 16 says... I was a slave. Mm -hmm. I was enslaved to sin, to the desires of my flesh, to the right. to the world. And now he has chosen me to serve him, chosen me to follow him, chosen me as his friend. Yeah. And that is huge to me, that I would be called a friend of God, mm -hmm. a friend of Jesus, because I know my heart. I know my life. And yes, I grew up in a Christian home. And so what horrible things could have happened in my life? But I know my life. I know myself and the thoughts and desires of my heart. And I also know that Jesus calls me his friend. Yeah. For the past few years, I've read across Christian music groups and stuff on Facebook and other places on the internet, a kind of puritanical legalism about worship choruses and hymns, that they're not pure enough. We're not speaking with enough doctrinal core value and truth. And therefore, most modern worship is therefore suspect and shouldn't be followed and grump, grump, grump. We see plenty of that around the church today. That particular chorus, it was written around that statement of Jesus, I call you friends, is something that's been in great debate. There's a song that says, I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. He calls me friend. Mm -hmm. And you sing that chorus a number of times, and it seems to be front-loaded with these I, I, I statements is what the argument seems to be. It's all about you. And if it was only about I, then yes, it would be. But the context of this matters. I can say I am a friend of God. I can say I am a friend of God. I can speak it with my own voice. Mm -hmm. I am a friend of God because he, he called me friend. And that, I believe, is a valid statement to make. I am a friend of God because he called me friend. Mm -hmm. In a poem, in a song, the heart of that, the truth is right there. And yet we sometimes spend so much time quibbling about the motivations of a worship leader we don't even know or yeah. a songwriter we've never met yeah. that we pass judgment on things that God has already said you have total freedom in. Well, I love how he continues on here that he's chosen us to bear fruit. Mm -hmm. So he sees potential in us. Yes. He sees a potential of fruit bearing. And he sees a crop. Yeah. He says, I've chosen you to do this yeah. and your fruit will remain. I believe that about you. I see you as my friend. I see you as a true servant of God. You believe me and you love me and you're going to bear fruit and it's going to be good fruit. In some ways, he's speaking that over them. We always want to speak good things over our children in our conservative way. We don't necessarily say we're prophesying over them, but mm -hmm. in some ways we are. We're speaking over them positive things that are going to encourage them to carry those things well, out. If we're going to prophesy, proclaim things that reflect the nature and the heart of God. Yes, yeah. And tell the truth at the same time. We don't lie about people when we proclaim things over them. If we do, we're in the risk of God saying, I never said that. Yeah. Nor yeah. should you proclaim that they're speaking the truth when they're speaking a lie. You don't speak things to try to make people feel better about you or your God. Yeah. You tell them the truth about who he is so that his nature can be proclaimed over and draped like a cloak over mm -hmm. somebody who's seeking yeah. and wants to know God better. And we speak that aspirational prayer. 
Yeah. Back to what you said about the remaining fruit. Mm. That word there is about a couple of different concepts, not just that the fruit is remaining like it's still on the vine. It's that it will last. It has good quality fruit and the fruit's going to come again. Mm -hmm. So in other words, you've got a vine here that's producing really well. Your job is to produce fruit throughout your life. And we know from other illustrations that we are grafted in. His roots, him pulling the nutrients from the soil, him giving us from the inside out what we need to flourish and to become fruit bearers. We bear the fruit because he brought us the water and the nutrients. Therefore, it's his product. We are the branches, but it's also our joy to present it and to give it to God and let him use it in the world. Yeah. A good plant that is producing time after time after time quality fruit is going to be snipped and regrafted many, many times mm -hmm. because of what they've done in the past. You're going to get rid of vines and stuff that don't produce anything but bitter raisins. Get rid of that plant. But I'm going to keep grafting onto the root that God gave, the thing that produces. So spiritually speaking, if we have a legacy that good fruit has been coming from us, God's going to notice that too and say, I need that reproduced in the lives of these people. Yeah. He's going to call us to be willing to sacrifice a bit, to let something be cut off of us, to be grafted into the lives mm -hmm. of others. And that should be a joy for us. What if we, knowing God is producing fruit in us, we say to ourselves, I could become a real big fish in this church because mm -hmm. this stuff is working through me. Yeah. What if God says, step out of that ministry, do something you're not good at for a while. Let someone else step up and follow the example you've given them. Be their mentor. Yeah. Share with them not just how to be great at this thing, but who you are. What God has done in your life because that fruit is present. It came here this way. Mm -hmm. Tell the story. Help them know you. Be a friend. Yeah. Well, that takes a real heart of humility to do that. Absolutely. Jesus is doing this right now. Yeah. He's grafted into these men and these women that are part of the bigger circle there a whole bunch of stuff that we would love to be able to participate in ourselves in the first person. Yeah. Historically speaking, they got something really, really special. Mm -hmm. They will now be called up to be Jesus to go out into the world mm -hmm. where he is not physically present anymore. I love that vision or that scenario, that picture that you're painting there about Jesus as being the ultimate mentor. In this instance, yeah. he's giving them everything he can. Like we've talked about before, he's pouring into them just buckets We talk with a fire hose, basically. And he's just wanting to get it all out there, knowing and trusting that when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to bring to mind all of these things that Jesus has spoken to yeah. them. And they will remember bits and pieces time and again of what Jesus has said. We do that sometimes even in memories of of people that have gone before us that we loved, we'll remember something. Oh, you know, you remember your dad said this, or my, your mom talked about this, your grandpa said this, or yeah. we remember those things, bits and pieces and snippets. And it's because of our love for them mm -hmm. that we remember those things. And their love brings us back to life. In us. Yeah. And that's Jesus' love for his followers and their love for him that's going to help them remember yeah. what he's been teaching them. For 78 years now, we've depended on the faithful encouragement of friends just like you to bring this unique radio and media ministry to the air each day. You can drop us a line, ask a question, submit a prayer request, or download a free Bible study guide in just the same way. It all happens at CompassionRadio.com. This dynamic gospel is available to you in a handy paperback edition, and I'd love to send you one when you send your gift and ask for it. Remember, this is a 100% listener-supported ministry. If you've never supported us before, would you consider doing so this month? I know many of you can and want to give more, so I'll not be shy in asking for that support. Thank you for seriously considering this request and challenge. Our toll-free order line is 1-800-868-2478. That's 
888-288-2478. If you need to call early or late, that's okay. Just make sure to leave your name and phone number, and we'll get back to you immediately when the doors open each business day. You can also give anytime online at CompassionRadio.com. And if you prefer to put a stamp on it, you can always find us at Compassion Radio, P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859. God bless you as you stretch your faith. I hope we can be a real encouragement and challenge to you for many, many years to come. And make sure to ask for your own copy of The Dynamic Gospel when you contact us today. Jesus' love for his followers and their love for him that's going to help them remember what he's been teaching them. Okay, we've covered the the verses there. we got to make a little bit of room here in the program for the Dynamic Gospel, which is our fresh modern English take on the Scripture. So we'll read that now. Again, the second half of John chapter 15, beginning in verse 15. I may be master, but I've never called you slaves. A slave has no clue what the plan is and certainly isn't invited to the planning meetings. All along, I've called you what you are, my friends. Confidence get the inside scoop, and I've held nothing back from you. As the Father spoke it, I relate it to you without hesitation. Whether you chose me or not, I chose you. I've set you apart to lead by example. Bear fruit in your lives and show the world how it's done. Be reliable and consistent, and there's nothing I won't do for you. Just ask. Remind us that the Father's reputation is on the line, and watch the answers pour down like rain. Do these things, and you show how much you love each other. Make love the rule by which you live. Mm -hmm. If the world hates you for it, so what? It's been no picnic for me, either. If they hated me, and you demonstrate my kind of love, you'll be attacked. Just plan on it. If you stayed in their fold, you'd be part of the hating team. But I called you out of there. Now you're traitors to their cause, and they can't stand it. Remember what I told you earlier, and take it to heart. The slave is never greater than his master. If this, quote, master of yours is constantly hounded, don't expect to be free from persecution. When the going gets tough, those who followed me faithfully will stick with you. And all the bad stuff the world throws at you is simply because you bear my mark. They prove they are no friends of the one who sent me. If I hadn't gotten in their faces about how rotten their lives were, they could have gone on merrily denying their sins. Too late for that now. They've been outed, and they know it. So, they hate me for it. That means they hate the Father too, of course, but they'll never admit it. If I hadn't done with my own hands what they deny is possible, they could have continued their arrogant self-deception that miracles don't happen. So my generosity ticked them off, and they resent me for pointing out their stupid doctrine. I've shown how much they actually hate God they profess to worship. It's just another example of prophecy coming true. Right there, in black and white, it says, They'll despise me without any justification whatsoever. But another reliable witness will speak up for me, the Holy Spirit himself. Once I've returned home, I'll dispatch him to you. He will lead you into a full understanding of the truth and remind you of everything I've done. And your experience is an important part of the story, too. You were all there from the beginning. Closing thoughts, hon? I do like the way you worded it when you said that Jesus has basically outed them. He's shown up. He's done the works of the Father. He has done miracles. He's done things that were thought to be impossible things. And yet they have rejected him. The status quo has been upended in their minds. And the religious community is shattered by this. They're caught off guard and they hate it. 
I think that we see that some even today in our world. Of course we do. How we see people that are calling out, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. Do these things that show the love of Christ to others. Deny yourself. I don't want to harp on things, but I think the biggest one that I see is wearing a mask. And people get <laughs> in this so chapter upset of history, sure yeah, about those things. And whatever side you're on, I just say, love your neighbor. Yeah. Take care of your neighbor. Love one another. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He says that in verse 17. This is my command. Love one another. I'll take a risk here in answering what you just raised right there. Years down the road, when this pandemic is done, no one's going to remember your selfless service to them by doing something as simple as wearing a mask when you know you've been vaccinated or you've already had COVID and you know you're not really contagious, but the world is very nervous. They won't remember that you wore the mask that day. The world is absolutely going to remember your defiance by saying their life is not worth anything. and You're just going to take off the mask wherever you feel like it, no matter what the government says. They will remember those things. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about reputation, like we're trying to falsely represent ourselves and make ourselves look better than we are. I'm simply saying that people can make solid judgments based on what they see us value. If they see us valuing our own independence and our own defiance in spite of everything else or in spite of other people around us, they register that. Mm-hmm. And there are whole churches now that have taken that up as their cause celeb. This is the one thing they stand for in the time of COVID. I don't get that. Mm. I'm not saying that we are advocating every single person wear a mask every single minute of every day. This is still about discretion and wisdom, but I do think there's a heart of it there. So where does that leave us then? I would say that we still have to make choices day by day about how, if we really want to follow Jesus, we're going to be servants of others, whether it makes any sense to us or not that we have to serve. We still have to choose service and ask the Holy Spirit to show us what does it mean to be selfless in a time like this? We bear the mark of Christ. You beautifully worded that in the edition that you did. We bear the mark of Christ. In doing so, we have great responsibility. And there you have it for chapter 15 of John. We'll be going on, of course, to chapter 16 in next week's Chasing the Word. But I want to remind everybody that the reason we are doing this study this way is because we really do believe that sitting down together and chewing on the Word together, actually making a meal of it and sharing it with somebody, doesn't just broaden our knowledge. It increases our understanding of who he is and how he's really present in the room with us and in our hearts. So we really do encourage you. Spend some time. Find somebody to study with. I don't care what book you're studying. Mm -hmm. Just pick up the Word of God and be brave. Yeah. Maybe you've never been called upon to, quote, give an answer. I wouldn't say that we've been trying to give answers to any of our series. You and I have been trying to offer ourselves. Yeah. This is how we talk and chew on these things. And sometimes we have clashed on a specific interpretation of a scripture or a word. And we wrestle those things out right in front of you. <laughs> this is part of the living relationship that is being part of the family of God and being part of a family for us. Those Bible studies are available to get free on the website at CompassionRadio.com. So any Monday's podcast will have a link to that week's or that set of week's chapter that we're studying. And you're welcome to download that for free anytime. And of course, as we mentioned before in the program, the Dynamic Gospel Full Edition is available to you for your gift of Compassion Radio to keep us on the air. We love doing what we're doing, and I hope that you get some benefit from it too. And if you believe that, if you experience some kind of encouragement, all we can ask is ask God what he might have you do to help us do the job we do Mm. and to keep alive some of this kind of open word, open relationship, open seeking on this broadcast medium you're hearing it on and through the internet that you may not be hearing a lot of other places right now. So thanks so much for how you invested in us and how you make all this possible. We'll see you again tomorrow. Who am I that you are mindful of me? That you hear me when I call.
This dynamic gospel is available to you in a handy paperback edition, and I'd love to send you one when you send your gift and ask for it. You can drop us a line, ask a question, submit a prayer request, or download a free Bible study guide in just the same way. It all happens at CompassionRadio.com. Make sure to ask for your own copy of The Dynamic Gospel when you contact us today. Remember, none of this is possible without you. If you believe hearing the good news from the front lines of faith builds your faith, then let us know today. Just call us at 1-800-868-2478. Write us at Compassion Radio, P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859, or make your gift through our website, CompassionRadio.com. We need you, friend, so contact us today.